Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show wild card weekend edition. Six games, not four games, 14 teams in the postseason, one by from each conference. That means myself, Dave Lockran, and Matt Savoka, joining me as always for the Thursday matchup show, are going to hit on all of them. And Matt, glad to have you with me, man. Have you seen? That DraftKings actually has a couple monster two-day slates or two-day contests. One of them, $400,000 prize pool, $15 entry for the Saturday and Sunday slate. So there's something for everyone this weekend. Hey, that's really cool. What's up, guys? Matt Savoka here. You can follow me at Draftaholic. Yeah, so excited to be here for Wild Card Weekend. Some unbelievably good matchups here. And like you said, we get that extra matchup because there's only one team with a buy in each conference. So happy to be here for some postseason football. And uh, I've already started looking ahead to some, not just uh, best ball for the postseason, but I'm getting excited about 2021. Football never stops, at least at least in my brain. <laughs> yeah, and the po- I do some postseason leagues as well. There's a few different ways to do them. Uh, you can do ones where you play each week, but you can only play one player once going through the postseason. And there's that. another format that I've had a good amount of success in where you, if you guys want to try this, I, it's not a promotion or support or anything. I, I don't even remember the name of the site, to be honest with you. I get it sent to me in my inbox every year where you pick everybody before it starts. So you have to figure out, you know, the teams with the buys, do you want to load up on them? And then you're pretty much stacking teams because you're hoping they get to the, to the Super Bowl. It's a pretty cool format. It's tough, but it's fun. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're talking DFS, <laughs> DraftKings, FanDuel. You name it. And as always, we're happy to have you guys with us. So hit that thumbs up. And more importantly, help us get to that 50,000 YouTube subscriber mark. Man, we are close. Uh, 47,300 plus. We're getting there. I mean, that Super Bowl goal, I think you're going to get it. I, I, think we get have, it. I think we have a shot, right? We got about a month. We got about a month to go. You know, that would be about 2650 we'd need over the next 30 days. So. You know, 51, 52, 53% of people that actually watch this show are even subscribed to it. So there's a lot of you that watch it. Maybe you enjoy the content. 
We think we put out some great free stuff. Maybe we've helped you along the way. We help you prep for these sites. If you haven't subscribed yet, it's the least you could do, and it's greatly appreciated. But it helps you as well uh, because we show up on the browse feature, the recommended feed. You'll always know when we go live. All of that great stuff. So, hey, join that awesome old community here at YouTube. And if you hate it, just unsubscribe and forget we ever existed. <laughs> By the way, you can follow me at Lafay underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Matt already mentioned it, at Draftaholic for him. You ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's roll. Let's make it happen, man. Indianapolis at Buffalo. The Colts here, six and a half point dogs, 51 point total. Uh, We'll start with the Colts. And then we'll talk about a Buffalo Bills offense that has looked legitimately unstoppable over the past couple of months. With or without John Brown, has it mattered? Stephon Diggs is dominant. They don't even need to lean on the run game because the passing offense has just been so, so spectacular. But on the other side, the Colts like to lean on their defense. They like to lean on Jonathan Taylor. They want to lean on the run game and, you know, scarcely use Phillip Rivers only when they need to. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that this week, Matt, which is what makes this such an interesting matchup, especially given Phillip Rivers' very low projected ownership, super low salary. I'm not saying he's great. He hasn't been a high upside, high ceiling fantasy producer this season. But if you're talking about a three-game slate, say you're just playing the Saturday, to me, I have some interest in game stacking this, uh, like a mega game stack with two bills, but I'm okay with running some Colts stacks with Rivers at quarterback and then running it back with two bills or so. What are your thoughts on the Colts passing attack? We'll start there first, and then we'll get to the run game. Yeah, we're we're going to start the show out in agreement here All where right. it looks like the bills – have to lean on their passing game. They have done so all year. And actually, we'll get to the running game in a minute, but if you're playing any kind of those best balls that we mentioned, I think the Bills passing attack is such a great team to load up on because they may get a benefit of that extra game. And if you look at wildcard teams that have a chance at winning or just going to the Super Bowl, the Bills may be up there with the very best of them, maybe with New Orleans as well. So going back to the Colts passing attack, it's hard to see a scenario where they don't have to pass to stay in this game, to stay competitive. And I know people are going to gravitate to Jonathan Taylor despite his high salary, but I really like this idea in this small slate to lean on Phillip Rivers. And then depending on the size of your tournament, that depends. That's where you start to differentiate how you play the receivers you want to go with. Obviously, Stefan Diggs on the Bills side is going to be incredibly popular, but Assuming that the Bills are at full strength, you could easily play some combination of Cole Beasley or John Brown. Both of them really interest me this week. And on the Indianapolis side of the ball, T.Y. Hilton, I think, looks really good. If you look at expected fantasy points per game, he's actually fourth on the Saturday slate among wide receivers, and he's 11th in salary. So the Osmo projections are also very bullish on him this week. Uh, I don't mind going there at all. And especially if you're playing in these larger field tournaments, I've said this before on the matchups show. I always like leaning on Philip Rivers passing down back when we think that Philip Rivers is going to be fantasy viable. That means Naheem Hines might be a solid pivot play off the very popular Taylor. And uh, you can obviously say he's part of the passing attack as well. So uh, I don't hate that as well. Longbone Malone says all the ownership will be on Brady and Allen. I'd assume you're mostly right, but um, it's, it's basically Allen. And then a huge drop off right. to Brady and then a slight drop off to Wilson, another slight three, 4% drop off to, to um, 
Phillip Rivers. That's what we have right now, at least, that our awesome.com ownership projections. They've proven to be pretty accurate, though. <laughs> so, you know, that that's essentially what we're looking at now. Uh, I, I don't want to get the Buffalo just yet, though, Matt, because I think, and by the way, I, I'm with you. The you, you hit on some Buffalo. I have like a hair on my eyelash, and it's driving <laughs> me nuts. I couldn't keep going. Just unprofessionally need to fix that uh, to keep moving here. I think with Buffalo, you've seen a lot of price tags come down, uh, and justifiably so, because John Brown is is back. Cole Beasley has been excellent, but, you know, with John Brown back, what type of an impact does that make? Beasley did not practice uh, yesterday, and we'll get to that. But ultimately, I think T.Y. Hilton is still extremely viable here. He's not overpriced. He will get some ownership, but only $5,100. Michael Pittman has fallen off the metaphorical cliff uh, recently, but he's almost minimum salary in a game that has a 50-plus total, also in a game that Indy could absolutely be forced to throw the football. And I think, you know, Jack Doyle, I don't like that. Even when he's out there, he's running like 10 to 14 snap, uh, routes per game. But Naeem Hines, to me, stands out as a really fascinating option. He's reasonably priced. He's someone that if this and, and we're assuming I'm assuming at least that there's a good possibility that the Colts fall behind uh, be, if, if the Bills continue to roll as they've done. If that's the case, Naeem Hines could see a pretty high target count in this one. And his ownership right now really isn't that crazy. Yeah, and, and not to mention the fact that you're really pivoting off of Jonathan Taylor, too, who is not only the top salary running back on the slate, but he's the second highest expected ownership. Actually, in my notes here, it looks like he might be over 40% owned on this condensed Saturday slate. So even just going to Hines, especially if you're using him as part of a sneaky stack, can be really contrarian if you're utilizing it correctly. Now, I don't hate the tight ends, uh, Jack Doyle or, or even Trey Burton, if you are playing in these large field tournaments where you're going to have to have an off the wall, low end or excuse me, low owned play in order to differentiate your lineup and, and move to the top. So in those situations, I don't hate it. Obviously, they don't pop in my matchups article that comes out later today. You're going to see that I recommend them as MME options. But uh, again, they're not exciting at all. And same with Michael Pittman. However, that means we still have to be smart about what contests we're playing. And in a game where we have a high expected total, and the Colts actually have a very small win probability, under 30%, 30% depending on the win probability model you're looking at, they're going to have to pass. The points that they use to keep up are going to have to come from somewhere. So if you're paying, playing in a big tournament, those players down the Colts list, do not uh, they're not exciting, but they're not bad either. Chris asked a great question. And guys, if you have questions... Uh, Matt and I only have six games today, so I, I think he'd agree. We're happy to take some questions. Yeah, we can dive deeper. Um, less, less like 1v1 questions and more so just overall strategy questions and, and, and lineup configuration ideas and stuff like that. Chris had a good one. He said, for Saturday only slate, do you think rostering both Colts running backs in the same lineup is viable? Matt, I'll just give you a quick answer and turn it over to you. Uh, on a three-game slate – I absolutely think that's viable. If this if, if this evolves into a shootout, Jonathan Taylor could fall into the end zone twice and still have a big game, and Naeem Hines could still be involved. On a bigger slate, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's necessary, but I'm not totally opposed to that on such a small slate. No. What about you? I agree. I think the basic rules of the main slate are to be 
bent if not broken on these smaller slates and it's actually really exciting because we don't get a ton of three game slates in the nfl not to mention back-to-back three game slates so take those rules that we we fundamentally use during the regular season and see where you can bend those rules i like heinz and tail i don't need to go there but i don't think it's a terrible idea especially if you think that the colts end up keeping pace with the high-powered bills offense all right anything else for the colts uh, not really here. Uh, I think their defense is going to be strong in this matchup, and it may. F- it, there's a small chance that this game just turns into an ugly playoff matchup, and there is some viability in saying that Colts' defense is strong enough to just make this a lower-scoring game than the Vegas implied total. Uh, so in that scenario, uh, maybe you could really lean on Jonathan Taylor a lot, but that's all I'll say there. All right. Um on the Bills side, Josh Allen's ownership is astronomical right now for a quarterback, right? Uh, 39% on DraftKings is is up there. On FanDuel <laughs> for this same slate, Allen's coming in at, where is he? He is 45%. Uh, and that's on a one quarterback site, Matt. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry, both, both are one quarterback sites. <laughs> Um, but the the price point on Josh Allen is on Fandle nine thousand dollars. So on yeah. DraftKings he's what 70, 75. 75. Big difference there. Obviously there, there's a higher cap on Fandle, but still, I, I still think Buffalo, even against a good Indianapolis defense, is really really primed for big stuff. You're right. Is there a possibility that this game doesn't go as planned and it ends up being low scoring? Yeah, but I just haven't seen anything from Buffalo to suggest lately that that would be the case. And we've seen Allen and company just absolutely erupt almost every single week. Yeah, and even last week when we thought that the Bills had very little to play for against a quality Miami defense, they just absolutely shattered them, not even playing their full-time players the full game. So I completely agree with you. Can't say enough about Josh Allen's turnaround as a passer. From an efficiency standpoint, he's absolutely had the best season of his career by a country mile. I'm looking at some advanced stats earlier in the week, and if you look at some really advanced metrics like against the sc- against the spread value versus average. Josh Allen actually blows away the competition better than Patrick Mahomes, better than Aaron Rodgers, who we assume is going to win the MVP. So I just can't say enough about the way that Josh Allen has led this offense. And you have to credit the coaching staff for sort of working out the kinks over the first three years of his career. So I, I completely understand why ownership is gravitating towards him on both sites, especially on DraftKings, where he has that slightly lower salary. Number one in expected fantasy points on the sa- on the Saturday slate. Number one in DraftKings fantasy points for game and on the Osmo top stacks tool unsurprisingly the bills are number one in the top stack probability now as I said before the Indianapolis Colts defense is no slouch they're a top 10 defense in the league over the last eight weeks if you look at per play efficiency and if you just think that they can stop Josh Allen's regular passing attack he's not going to live up to those high salary based expectations but i will certainly if making any more than even if i'm just making one lineup truly in a single entry i don't mind going to josh allen at all i will certainly have a lot of stefan Diggs, and i will certainly have a lot of these secondary options we'll keep an eye on cole beasley's injury he's not 100 percent. definitely like john brown as the 12th highest salary wide receiver uh, on the saturday slate and expected fantasy points 
obviously that's swayed because he's been injured. He's 17th, but I, I've actually noticed that the Colts are just around league average against secondary and tertiary wide receivers over the last half of the season. So that might be an area where Josh Allen can exploit that uh, the deep ball at some point this in this game. Absolutely. And when I look at Josh Allen, he still has the highest implied total on this slate, 28.75. That's a big total. Uh, they're still favored by, what, a touchdown? The Colts defense has certainly been good. There's no denying that. But I, I think, you know, something ha- something has to budge here. You have to, either the Colts defense is going to stop Allen or Allen D- uh, Josh Allen and company are going to show up the Colts defense. And uh, right. if I have to bet on one of those, it's going to be Josh Allen showing up the Colts defense. The, the, the run game, though, just they're not willing to get there. And I have some concerns about that. Well, not even really some concerns. I'm just really averse to to getting to these guys. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what game or even what game script. I, they're, they're just not getting a lot of opportunity. And even if they are, it's hard to know where that split is going to be between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary anyway. You got to get yeah. both right, Matt. Yeah. And whenever we have to get multiple parts of a guessing game right, we're we're lowering our odds, if you will. Yes, we could still be right, ultimately, but it's very tough. And actually, in my matchups column this week, I left Antonio Williams' Week 17 expected fantasy points in my running back graph because it just showed how valuable a one running back system would be in this Bills offense. But the bottom line is this split down the middle, almost 50-50 running back committee with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, just really, really tough to bet on. Yes, could one of them fall into the end zone multiple times in this game where they're favored to win uh, by a touchdown and they have an almost 70, a 71% chance of winning if you look at win probability? Yeah, we usually like running backs from games like that. So if you want to get contrarian with the Bills offense and thinking that one of these guys plunges into the end zone multiple times, I don't blame you at all. But there's nothing in the stats to say that they're going to get enough usage to be worth their salary-based expectations. Even Zach Moss is the eighth highest salary running back on a three-game slate. The Osmo projections aren't exciting, excited for him, and really not with Singletary either as the 11th highest running back in salary on Saturday. So just not a ton there although we can see scenarios from a game script perspective where they just kind of get lucky. That's really what it has to happen. All right. Uh, and last thing here, because we had a question that I think is, is a viable one who benefits the most. If Cole Beasley sits, um, you know, if you just look at, at slot performance over at pro football focus, Matt, uh, if you were to just take week 17, granted a lot of these starters didn't play their full allotment of, of snaps, but still, uh, Isaiah McKenzie saw 25 snaps in the slot. That was way more than anybody else. So uh, I would assume that when John Brown is out, it benefits Gabriel Davis more. But I think Isaiah McKenzie could see a little bit more opportunity at a discounted price point if Cole Beasley ends up sitting out. Yeah, it feels a little point chasey since McKenzie had that blow up game in week seven. I can't say I'm excited about it, but in terms of opportunity, he might get that. I agree, and I wrote something about McKenzie as well in the column where it doesn't feel great, but I think knowing that there's going to be so much ownership surrounding the big wigs on the bill. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Offense, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. And if Beasley's out, there's probably going to be a lot of ownership on Brown as well. I don't I don't completely hate it in large field tournaments. Yeah. Uh, and if you're wondering how he had that many fantasy points, the guy also had a return touchdown, a punter kick, kickoff return. So, mm-hmm. all right, Matt, let's talk about the Rams in Seattle. Really, really ugly game. I mentioned yesterday uh, on Twitter and on our strategy show, the first look show with Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak, that the Seattle Seahawks have been a – it's a Jekyll and Hyde type season for them from the first half to the second half, Right. First half of the season, they're averaging 34 points per game, and they're allowing 30 points per game. Second half of the season, they're averaging, like, I think 23 points per game, which is more than 10 fewer than the first half, and they're only allowing around 16 points per game, which is way less. Now, their second half schedule has been way easier in terms of uh, in terms of their defense looking better, but it should have also been easier in, in – in, in the, their ability to score points for the most part as well. Their offense looks, dare I say, broken right now. It doesn't look good, and I don't necessarily know where we go with that. There's a very low total in this game, uh, and as it stands right now, we're still waiting on any news regarding Jared Goff, who practiced in a limited capacity yesterday. Yeah, and I think we saw Sean McVay, who's going to keep things very, very close to the vest, expect a lot of coach speak heading into the weekend, and then probably around 11 a.m. Eastern Sunday, we'll probably know who's starting by that point. Still, it's hard to imagine a scenario where the Rams start John Walford and beat the Russell Wilson-led Seahawks in this game. About a 65% win probability for the Seahawks, and... Yeah, like you said, we're seeing a tale of two offenses and a tale of two defenses. They actually now rank eighth in the NFL. That's among the 32 teams, not just playoff teams, in rush defense uh, on a per-play basis, which is pretty good. They're still 19th against the pass, but that top-tier offense also fell off, and we're seeing a team right around 10th in the league in offensive efficiency and actually worse in passing than they are in rushing and finishing the year, which is weird based on that whole let Russ cook movement to start the season. One thing I did notice is that DK Metcalf is cheaper than Tyler Lockett for the first time in weeks. And it makes sense because Metcalf's expected points number have really fallen off a cliff, as like you said. And Tyler Lockett looks healthier, caught multiple touchdowns last week. But I still like Metcalf this week in that scenario where, you know, maybe the Seahawks are able to catch lightning in a bottle, get to that early season form Metcalf is going to be a huge beneficiary here and you know what the ceiling is it's one of the highest ceilings of any receiver in the NFL so 
when I see that there's slightly, just slightly limited ownership, he's the third highest wide receiver, I believe, in our ownership rankings at the, at the time right now. I think I like Metcalf a lot, even more than Lockett, especially with the price difference. How much do you worry about uh, the Jalen Ramsey matchup for Metcalf? You know, I've been burned before not caring about one-on-one defensive matchups. And there are cornerbacks who, when they're playing at their best, really matter. I think we talked about Jair Alexander a lot in the middle of this season. So, you know, the Rams have a very, very strong pass defense. If you look at per play efficiency, they're number one in the league. But I think it's more of thinking in a DFS tournament strategy standpoint. We know what the ceiling is with Wilson and Lockett. They're third in the top stack probability. And we're getting that just slight price difference. It's hard for me if I'm going to bet on this game shooting out, which is <laughs> which is hard to do, as we mentioned at the top of this game. I still want to get one of those big two from Seattle. The run game is going to be an interesting one as well, Matt, because, well, Chris Carson is not going overlooked. As a matter of fact, Chris Carson uh, is currently primed to get a lot of ownership, which was honestly very surprising to me outside of Stefan Diggs giving you a, a look behind the curtain here at our at our awesome ownership projections outside of Stefan Diggs who is projected for 65 percent ownership on the Saturday only slate Chris Carson is second at 42.7 Matt that That's is an absurd number absurd especially given that Carlos Hyde when healthy has gotten a decent amount of work Rashad Penny is back in the mix. Maybe he doesn't get any at all, but I'm having a very difficult time. And maybe you can, maybe you can change my mind here. Having a very difficult time understanding why Carson would be this popular, even on a three game slate. I know he's not that expensive, but there are so many things that could go wrong here. And and that's what concerns me. If he's going to be close to 50%, I think I can do a lot better looking elsewhere uh, and, and, and getting away from a guy who isn't even the bell cow back at this point, he's going to split some work. Yeah, I'm a little confused by that. And maybe it's just like a fundamental DFS thing where players are seeing a home favorite running back and Carlos Hyde has been injured over the last few weeks, hasn't been 100%. And I believe he was out for week 17. But he's going to play this week, it looks like. And I'm just not sure why so much of the field seems to be gravitating towards Carson, at least at this point in the week. Maybe it changes as we get closer to Saturday. But like you said, the usage just isn't there. And in fact, if you're just comparing all the running backs from this game, if you look at the expected points uh, for the Rams running backs, Cam Akers has almost doubled the expected fantasy points of Chris Carson. We can use that as a volume metric in this case, just to say what is the value of a player's usage. And the bottom line is, yes, Chris Carson has some touchdown equity because he's playing in Russell Wilson's offense. But like we said, it's been a Jekyll and Hyde situation. We're not sure what Russell Wilson-led offense we're going to get this week. So betting on Chris Carson at such a level where he's almost half, he's going to be utilized in half of lineups, I just don't see it. There are other home favorite running backs, and there's certainly more talented running backs. No no dissing on Chris Carson. He's a fine, talented running back. But the bottom line is the Seahawks aren't using him like a bell cow, especially if Carlos Hyde plays. I just don't see it. it it's not impossible. He could still score multiple touchdowns, but it just doesn't make sense compared to the ownership expectations. In the last three games, he's been fully healthy throughout. Cam Akers is averaging over 26 looks per game. Uh, insanity, right? 21, 29, and 21 carries. 15 against the Jets. They fell behind early. He got hurt, would have crossed 
cross 20. Uh, and he's been targeted three plus times in each of his last three games. Give me uh, five, six, seven percent lower ownership in the same game at an 800 percent or eight hundred dollar discount on a guy that is getting an excessive amount of work and is the clear top option there. Uh, that's a perfect segue over to the Rams. Uh, I, I, I've been on Cam Akers for a while now, so there's very little reason that I'm going to back off this week when he's at 5,100, Matt. My only concern is, is his efficiency going to suffer because he's not at 100% coming off an injury that probably should have kept him out for more than just a week? Yeah, I have the same concerns as you. And if you look at fantasy points scored above or below expectation, he is playing at a slightly inefficient level. That said, the Rams running backs are banged up, and I certainly don't bet on Malcolm Brown turning into this bell cow running back. They wouldn't have drafted Cam Akers if they felt like Malcolm Brown was a bell cow running back. They had him on the roster when Todd Gurley was the number one back in Los Angeles. So like you said, if Cam Akers is healthy enough to start, I think you're going to see a ton of touches for him. And he's kind of game script, indep- uh, not game script dependent. I'll word it that way. I don't think that even if the Seahawks get up by two touchdowns, that Cam Akers is going to come completely off the field, even if they're staying in this passing attack uh, for the remainder of the game. Jared Goff or John Walford, depending on who starts, they both have leaned on short passing attacks all year long, despite having a fast-paced offense. So we always lean on running backs in those types of offense. And, you know, there really just isn't a talent comparison healthy for the Rams. Cam Akers is really all alone in that backfield. And like you said, the touch totals have been fantastic. I'll bet there instead of Carson. In the uh, the three ga- or the four games that he's been the le- clear lead back, uh, Cam Akers has run 50 receiving routes. So is it a lot? No, but it's enough. And like you said, is he game script dependent? I don't think so. If you can get three to five targets in a game like that or a game where they weren't playing with a big deficit, uh, I'm fine with that. Malcolm Brown, 65 receiving routes in those games, which is kind of interesting. But it it led me to look at what happened in week 17 uh, where Akers had those four receptions on four targets, and he actually ran one more route than Malcolm Brown. So the tide might even be turning there as well. And if that's the case, we're in business. No more convincing is really needed here. So what are you doing with the uh, the LA Rams pass catchers? And I guess it's really hard to answer that question until we get a definitive answer on whether or not Jared Goff is going to be active. Right. And if you do have Jared Goff healthy, then, you know, for the first time in a few weeks, you have Goff, Woods, and Cup all available at the exact right time that you would need them. And uh, I don't have a hugely strong feeling about which way this game is going to go from a matchup standpoint. But if you look at expected fantasy points in games that both of them played, Robert Woods still had much higher usage in those games this season. So I would lean towards Robert Woods just a little bit here. Again, we're not excited about a team that has a 35% win probability in general, but I think Robert Woods has a modest salary. He's seventh among wide receivers. And, you know, if you look at his expected fantasy points, he's actually fourth among wide receivers on the slate. The uh, The Seahawks have still struggled over the last five weeks with primary wide receivers, ranking last on the slate in fantasy points allowed over opponent averages. They're allowing almost three points per game more than 
the number one receiver's fantasy average on the season. So there's some hidden upside for Woods, especially if you think that the Rams have to pass to keep pace with the Seahawks. But like we said at the beginning of this game, we're not exactly sure that's the type of game we're going to get, especially with this being the third time these teams have faced each other this season. Chronic Necrosis says, by the way, dude, that's just a dark name. I mean, I, I don't know what... I'd love to know the origin of that. Maybe I don't want to know the origin of that. <laughs> he said, I'm square. Here's what, why uh, Ree Carson, he said, it's hard to pass on the Rams. Wilson is called Seahawks like to run historically. I only bring that up, that comment up, because if there was an argument to be made for Carson, that would definitely be the argument. Like their, their passing game can't get it going. Low scoring game, they might not need to lean on the on Wilson, which maybe they don't want to right now. So I get it. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand it. Uh, I, I think the, the argument against it is just Cam Akers is cheaper. Uh, and while both of them have difficult matchups, his volume is pretty much locked and loaded. But if, like Matt said, you want to take that touchdown equity into consideration, then maybe Carson gets the upper hand. But uh, I guess we'll find out. We've given you enough information. Now you can make those decisions on your own. It's time to turn to Tampa Bay and Washington, Matt. The uh, Washington football team looked like they wanted to miss the playoffs last. Oh, yeah. What a disastrous performance from Alex Smith and company. They're four, uh, eight and a half point favorites. Ready for this one? Ready for a laugh? At home. And there's a 45 point total in this game. Yes, the, what are they, seven and nine or six? No, they're six and six and ten. And does it matter? Seven and nine. <laughs> they're seven and nine? Okay. Yeah. The seven and nine Washington football team hosts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, eight and a half point favorites are the Bucs on the road. I want to start here because Tom Brady has thrown 40 touchdowns this year, Matt. He is a 40 touchdown passer at age 67. <laughs> it, it's, it's remarkable what he's been able to do. The thing is, number one, what type of respect, and, and these are not rhetorical questions, I'm asking you. What type of respect do we have for Washington's secondary, for their pass rush, for their defense as a whole? And two, uh, how do we try to draw any conclusions on where the ball is going to go to? Because Gronk, since getting in game shape, has looked way better. He's a deep threat now. Antonio Brown in the mix is coming off two solid games. Um, Chris Godwin is another one where relegated to the wide receiver three spot in some games, but he's still an absolute stud. And Mike Evans didn't practice yesterday with that hyperextended knee, and we don't know what's going on there. We haven't even talked about Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette yet, but let's sift through this madness in the passing game first. Okay, yeah, starting with this passing game. Congratulations to 110-year-old Tom Brady and having a yes, fantastic exactly. season. But, you know, the bottom line is they're, uh, they're a very balanced team. They're ranked top 12 in both run offense, run uh, run offense, run defense, pass offense, and pass defense. And as we've mentioned in previous shows, they like to spread the ball around passing-wise. Tom Brady doesn't really care who he's throwing to out of all those superior weapons. There may be a little consolidation this weekend. I'm just going to say it. I think Mike Evans sits, or at the very at the very best, is a decoy, a shell of himself. He That injury just looked Oh, man, that was tough to watch. I felt terrible for him. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just felt terrible for the guy because you know he was trying to get to that seventh straight 1,000-yard season, and he congratulated him for it, but, man, it came at a price. And I will say that Antonio Brown, uh, 
forget what you think about him as a person, has really come on at the second half of the season. He now ranks second among all wide receivers on the Saturday slate in expected fantasy points per game and second in DraftKings points per game. And he's third amongst Tampa Bay receivers in salary, actually eighth overall amongst wide receivers. So I think I'm going to have a little bit of Antonio Brown at 6,100 on DraftKings, only the 10th highest owned, at least in our awesome ownership projections, wide receiver as well. So that's the first place I look, but I like Tom Brady on his own. I think it's completely viable to play Tom Brady on his own without just betting on the passing, especially if you're looking at something like a single entry where you need to deviate just a little bit in your lineup. I think Tom Brady compared to salary based expectations is one of the easiest bets in this, uh, in this Saturday slate. So he's by far my favorite. And then it's really about contest and the way I'm differentiating my lineup, how I go with my receivers. Okay. Um, here's a, an interesting question. Um, Oh, you know what? Let me actually let me let me get back to that. Let me get back to that in a second. Uh, it was it was essentially, what do you think is better for wide receivers or for uh, four wide receivers or three running backs on DraftKings for tournaments, Matt? And I think a lot of people will tell you that the fourth wide receiver makes more sense, uh, especially given the the fact that games that generally go nuclear have a lot to do with both passing attacks going off or just an all-out onslaught from an opposing team's passing attack. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I sound like a broken record, and I apologize, but contest selection, once again, really matters yep. here. If you're shooting Let's for say upside, large field in a large field tournament, obviously, in, the most, in most circumstances, wide receivers have that higher ceiling, which is what we're shooting for here. I do have some rules I like to bend when it comes to that, especially when you have... I can think of like a couple of Mike Davis weeks where he was just so incredibly cheap where it just makes sense if you want to really stack up on high price, high owned options, and then just get that chalk low priced running back in there as a flex. I never hate that. But for the most part, like you said, wide receiver is the way to go, especially in full PPR. But you're right. Context is one thing too of the slate as well. You know, like you said, there was that Mike Davis week. There will be weeks where you just, there's such great value at running back that, it opens things up and now you can throw in three stud wide receivers and a good tight end. Like, yeah, there, there's context for sure. But to, talking about the, the Tampa Bay run game, Ronald Jones, it's funny, Bruce Arians was said before last week's game, he wanted to get him a ton of work. Well, a ton of work equaled 12 carries and zero targets. Fortunately, he got into the end zone, but that's not necessarily my definition of a ton of, of uh, opportunity, especially when Fournette had seven to his 12. But uh, in a playoff game, I know it's a tough matchup. Ronald Jones is priced at 5,500 on DraftKings. Does that appeal to you? It sure does. Uh, if you're going to look at favorites that we just want to play the running back, I know they're not at home. Although, uh, don't get me started. I absolutely think the Buccaneers should have this home game with this massive, massive record discrepancy. I digress. Ronald Jones is my Chris Carson-esque pick this weekend, if you want to say that, because I, I don't know if he's going to get a full workload, but I'm pretty darn sure that the Buccaneers are winning this game, and I'm pretty darn sure they're scoring about 30 points. If so, I want the running back from that team, the starting running back from that team. Yes, when I look at expected fantasy points, it's not incredible, 
basically when Leonard Fournette has been on the field. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They, if you look over the last five weeks, they have almost identical usage from an expected fantasy points standpoint. But we still know that the touch total for Jones is very likely going to be the highest on the team. And the Osmo projections are also bullish compared to salary-based expectations. Uh, he's fourth in salary, but the, the projections are actually higher than that right now. So I like Jones, as I said, comparing him to Chris Carson, I think that Jones stands out completely. And uh, there is some downside in the fact that Washington has a very, very strong rush defense. They rank second on the Saturday slate in fantasy points allowed below opponent average. But I think Ronald Jones makes a ton of sense, especially when we know so much ownership is going to consolidate around the Tampa Bay passing game. Since I want to get through this show in a relatively you know, efficient time, I'll, I'll ask quickly, any interest in Leonard Fournette? Again, large field tournaments, sure. And if you do think that Washington, with Alex Smith at the helm, has the ability to keep pace in this game, that you know, it's close games or games where Tampa Bay has to use, uh, they have to deviate from their original plan in their passing attack where Leonard Fournette comes into play. I don't think they come into this game, Tampa Bay, and say, we need to feature Leonard Fournette. Do I also think they're going to design some plays for him? Yes. He's just not a player that I think they prioritize, and so he's not going to be a player I prioritize either. Okay. Uh, On the other side of this one, Washington, big dogs at home. A lot of times that lends itself to J.D. McKissick being pretty valuable. It's also possible that if Antonio Gibson stays on the field, he'll be getting a lot of that pass catching work. And I, and I think one thing that we can't overlook is a, a couple of these big games from McKissick resulted in Antonio Gibson coming off the field early or getting hurt. Uh, uh, th- that would be my one reservation here is that Gibson actually gets more passing down opportunities than we initially suspected. And while McKissick gets some work, it's not what we may have originally thought it would look like if they fall behind. What are you doing with Washington's offense? Yeah, none of the running backs really, really excite me. Gibson, especially when we know that the ceiling is capped because of the just consistent passing down usage of McKissick. I'm not expecting Antonio Gibson to be able to run over the number one rush defense in the NFL. And if you look at just fantasy metrics, fantasy points allowed under opponent average, by far the Buccaneers are the number one defense on this slate. So a running back that's not slated to catch a lot of passes and is supposed to lose the game, not someone I'm very excited to get to, especially as the third highest running back salary. Yeah, there's a scenario where he could find the end zone. I I like Antonio Gibson, the player, a whole lot, but McKissick makes a whole lot more sense with that lower salary. He's 4,900 on DraftKings this weekend. And if you look at expected fantasy points, my favorite usage metric for running backs, he's actually third on the slate. So if I'm going to either running back, McKissick is much preferred. But I can't really move away. If I'm going to run back an option, if I'm playing like a Tom Brady stack, or if I'm just playing Tom Brady, I might run it back with Terry McLaurin. He's just such a talented player. And I know if we look at expected fantasy points as a usage metric, he's 
just outside the top five receivers. He's eighth, actually, and he's sixth in salary. But, man, we know the ceiling is there for a player like him. And the Tampa Bay defense, though really respected as a as a pass defense, is actually slightly worse than they were at the beginning of the season. And they struggled against primary wide receivers. They actually rank second worst on the slate in fantasy points allowed below or excuse me, above opponent averages. So there's a little bit upside for Terry McLaurin, especially since we know or we we really think that the Washington offense is going to be forced to pass. Terry McLaurin uh, and Lance Thomas. First of all, McLaurin, I don't know how healthy he is. I'm going to assume Lance Thomas, former Duke, Duke, Duke basketball superstar. Logan Thomas. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I'm just joshing. Yeah, I, I, get, I can't get that right. So just don't even expect me to get that right. <laughs> it's one of those names uh, that I will frequently get wrong because when you do basketball and football content, it's way too easy to mix it up. But, yes, thank you for the correction. <laughs> Logan Thomas, um, his ownership is, let's see if it's moved, 30% at tight end on a slate that is devoid of tight ends. Logan Thomas is getting a ton of it. And then Rob Gronkowski came up about 20%. Any other, anything interest you from, from McLaurin to Cam Sims to Logan Thomas? And then uh, we can start on this Sunday slate. Yeah, I completely understand why people are gravitating towards Logan Thomas. I will say that if you look at the metrics, uh, the usage metrics for Thomas with Alex Smith at quarterback versus other versus other quarterbacks this season for Washington, the usage is a little bit lower, but still number one on the slate and expected fantasy points per game and just DraftKings fantasy points per game. So I'm completely fine with him despite being the highest salary tight end on the slate. I I can't believe we're saying that Logan Thomas is the safe option at tight end because I certainly don't feel that way. But with tight end being the volatile position that it is, I completely understand why people are gravitating there. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Okay. Anything else here? Uh, Cam Sims over Steven Sims for me just a little bit because that usage is higher, but boy, that's large field tournament. Weeks. Yeah, there you go. So there's that. Yeah. I, I like, I, I'm, but the, if, is he exciting? Absolutely not. Does he have a higher stealing than Sims? I think, or than Steven Sims? I definitely think he does. So, uh, oh, I will Tampa, say one thing. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say against Tampa Bay. Uh, even though Alex Smith is the furthest thing from a, a quarterback that we want to hang our hats on and expect him to erupt, I, I feel more comfortable uh, trying to to pick one solid piece from this Washington team in the passing game and just hope that, you know, where Tampa Bay is weaker, not weak, but weaker, is in the secondary, and that can be exploited, especially if Washington falls behind. Go ahead, close it out, Matt. Yeah, in large field tournaments, I really like what you said there. And in large field tournaments, I think there's – if there's a lot to be lost, that's for sure, because we expect Tampa to dominate this game. But you could get ahead of the a huge amount of the field if you bet on Washington's defense to somehow force enough turnovers and get to Tom Brady consistently where they're a viable defense. And then Washington actually plays the type of football they prefer to play, low-scoring, running back-based football. If they if they can control the game and get the scoring, keep the scoring low it's possible that Washington becomes that ticket for that first place team to differentiate themselves. It certainly is. And Tom Brady has, has not been, uh, he, he's, he's made mistakes this season, only 12 interceptions, but I feel like, I mean, it feels like more than that, but it hasn't been. And I think it feels like more than that, Matt, because 
there was a stretch there where he threw seven interceptions over the course of four games. Uh, and now he's thrown only one over those, uh, those four games that came after that. So uh, he's certainly settled down. He's, yes. he's been, he's been very good and I will give him credit where credit is due Baltimore and Tennessee. But before we get to that guys, we have, what is it? The seventh we have until the 10th to uh, you have until the 10th to check out the promo code. It's a phenomenal one. Uh, it's it's the start of the new year. It's the best one we're going to do all year, uh, and especially the the annual one. There, we're this is what we're doing for twenty one or for twenty dollars. You get twenty one days, three full weeks of everything on the site. Not just basketball, not just football, not just golf. Everything we have. The Awesome Plus Platinum is normally around like this would be around ninety dollars for the three weeks. Normally, it's twenty dollars for everything: ownership projections, player projections, the Boom Bust tool, the Top Stack tool, all of our showdown content, right? Which includes the Top Plays tool. It takes probability into account and, and really helps you look at the game entirely differently than maybe you did before. Um, we have showdown ownership for all of these slates. You name it, we've got it. The lineup builder. Uh, everything if you use the promo code 2021 2021 it gets you 21 days for 20 dollars. all of these tools built by the number one ranked dfs player in the world alex baker himself you probably know him as awesome he didn't just build them but he uses these tools for himself it's not just his name slapped on them so you know we've seen other sites do that where it's like oh this person's projections when it's really not these are legitimately his projections his ownership his boom bust tools that he uses himself and i think that's important to have some transparency there for sure. Use 2021, get $20. $20 will get you 21 days, everything on the site. And if you decide that you like what we have to offer, if you like this, if you like Awesome, if you like our tools, use the promo code HAPPY. That'll get you 20% off an entire year, the full annual. If you feel like making a commitment, 20% off everything on the site. And with that one, you can add the Fantasy Cruncher add-on as well. So if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. I'm happy to help you and answer those questions. But if you don't, go to awesomemode.com slash promos and check them out. They're good till the 10th of January. All right, Matt, three up, three to go. These ones are going to go a little bit quicker than those. Baltimore at Tennessee. Tennessee Titans are three, uh, three and a half point dogs, 54 and a half point total. And let me tell you, I kind of like the Tennessee money line here. I'm not saying they come in and do exactly what they did to Baltimore last year, where Derrick Henry has 70% of their total yards and destroys them. And Lamar Jackson didn't look like the unanimous MVP, but I think Tennessee could easily win this football game at home. Oh, they absolutely could. And I agree with you there. They look like one of the better bets, even though I think the Ravens still squeak out a win here. I think there's a lot of scenarios where Tennessee controls the game in both expected ways because they've been incredibly efficient in games that they've won uh, or, or unexpected ways where they just rely on unforced errors from the Baltimore side, which is certainly what they did last season. I actually had <laughs> scrolling through my notes app as during the winter break. And I found some notes that I wrote after that Baltimore Tennessee game. And I, I was just shocked that of the way that that game went down, because it actually was kind of fluky despite us having that public perception of the ten- Tennessee just kind of dominating the Ravens after they had that amazing season last year. The Ravens actually have 13 more first downs, more rushing first downs, a higher third down conversion rate, more plays run, higher yards per play, more yards per pass, more yards per run, a higher time of possession, and more red zone opportunities. 
but the Titans had three more turnovers and a hundred percent red zone TD rate. And that will do it sometimes in the NFL where you just turn the ball over just enough times to get the ball into the red zone. And then when you get in the red zone, you make use of those opportunities. Baltimore had a lot of drop passes in that game as well. They sure did. And you know, you know, sometimes stats lie like that because if you watch the game, you could tell that they had some backbreakers. I actually went on Twitter and defended Lamar because he was getting excoriated. Not to say he had a great game, but he didn't get any help. That's right. And, and from a narrative standpoint, I know I'm a numbers guy, but from a narrative standpoint, one of my best buddies, he's from Baltimore. He lives and dies with the Ravens. And I told him the, the Baltimore Ravens have been just kind of coasting through this entire season so that they could see Tennessee in the playoffs once again. I think they're hungry for this game. And I, I agree with you. I think the Titans really have a great chance to win despite being the underdog in this game. If you look at win probability models, the Ravens come out to about a 60% win probability. But the Titans really know how to control games, especially when, when Ryan Tannehill is playing at his most efficient. And Boy, has he been efficient over the last few weeks. If you look at just playoff quarterbacks, just playoff quarterbacks in drive efficiency, he's second to Aaron Rodgers in my true drive success rate metric. He's third behind Josh Allen and Tom Brady in per play efficiency. So he's been incredibly efficient as a passer as well. So, you know, not to mention the fact that big dog Derrick Henry is back there. Now, I think that Baltimore has a really, really exciting passing attack here, but my most exciting play by far is still Lamar Jackson. The Tennessee defense is a liability. They actually rank outside the top 25 in pass defense and overall defense. So I really think Baltimore has a chance to run up the score here, even more than the Vegas total implies. All right. When it comes to Derrick Henry, uh, Antoine, what's up, Antoine? Hangs out with us a lot in here watching the show. Says Ravens are prepared to stop Henry. They might be, but I have to think that they were prepared to stop him last year too, right? Like what's different about Henry from last year to this year? That's a serious question, Matt. Like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. He had 2000 yards this season, but Derrick Henry was absolutely dominant in 2019 as well. So I look at this as an instance where the reason I think Tennessee gets involved in so many shootouts, but also the reason that they are a very, very skilled offense and throw that green Bay game out the window cold weather Darren Rodgers and that team are just better than them anyway but um and they got down super early the reason I think that they're a scary offense Matt is because everyone discredits Ryan Tannehill and the pass catching options right it's always Derrick Henry Derrick Henry shut Derrick Henry down and you win the game what about AJ Brown what about Corey Davis what about Ryan Tannehill who can also use his legs like this is a really good overall offense coached by a really good coach I, like the, I don't see it as just a stop Derrick Henry and win the football game situation but if you do you have to ask yourself are you willing to take some shots on the Titans passing game against a very good Baltimore secondary yeah I I agree with you in a nutshell I think that the Tennessee passing game is as I said has been incredibly efficient and they're incredibly talented especially with Corey Davis having the best season of his career he's actually been strong in titans playoff games over the last few seasons it just kind of lines up when when he's been healthiest in his career but nonetheless i think he is actually really exciting davis is as the 11th highest salary wide receiver on the sunday slate it's really hard to get to aj brown he's the highest salary wide receiver on sunday 7100 isn't 
incredibly high in terms of percentage of the overall budget, but compared to his wide receiver cohort, it is tough to get there, especially when you consider Tannehill is the second highest salary quarterback on that Sunday slate. So uh, I was surprised to see that the Tennessee passing attack was third in the top stacks tool for Sunday's game. That's a little bit of peek behind the curtain. We were able to get that info a little bit early before it's on the site. And if that's the case, if the if their top stack probability is just kind of middle of the road, I, I'm i only going to be going to the Titans passing attack when I'm playing a shootout uh, base around lineup for this whole game where I think both offensive both offenses dominate the defenses on both sides of the ball. Okay. Um, so final opinion on Derrick Henry for this week. His projection matches his salary-based expectations. If you're playing in tournaments, even small field, I think you can make an argument for fading him entirely. Okay. And but he can still have the highest score on the slate easily. Yeah, sure. What about J.K. Dobbins coming off that huge game? But once again, context, Matt, 13 touches, no targets, monster blowout win, 38-3 to over Cincinnati. Understandable. Uh, but Mark Ingram has effectively been phased out of the offense. And it certainly feels that that's going to be the case in the postseason as well. They don't need him when you have Dobbins and Gus Edwards producing the way that they are. But Dobbins is, if you look on a six, if you look at this six game slate, right? The only guys that are more expensive than him are Henry, Kamara, Taylor, Montgomery, and Chubb. Like Dobbins is more expensive than Carson, Gibson, Ronald Jones, Cam Akers, James Conner. That, that to me is, is what concerns me a little bit. I don't feel confident in the volume. Maybe you like the matchup enough to where Dobbins is viable. I don't think that the Tennessee rush defense is any kind of defense to be scared about. I will say that they're middle of the road or well below average in almost any defensive rush metric you look at. But we're looking at a player in J.K. Dobbins who is completely outperforming his usage-based fantasy expectations and that probably means he's really talented especially with his draft capital how well he played at ohio state before coming to baltimore and the fact that they've completely relegated to mark ingram mark ingram to basically a healthy scratch jk dobbins is the future of that backfield regardless of the usage that gus edwards gets but if you just look at expected fantasy points and you compare the usage of someone like derrick henry another player who we malign for not catching passes he still has half the expected points usage of a player like Derrick Henry. And so to have a salary even close really doesn't make a lot of sense yet. We're really saying we're, we're betting on efficiency. We're betting on ceiling. And that's really hard to do. Yes, it's possible. He could break off another 70 plus yard run and just break the game wide open. That's in his range of outcomes because of his talent, but it's not the most likely thing. And we want to bet on usage because that's, what's going to pay off week after week, much more often than efficiency. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. One more thing, too, and, and we'll move this on. The one thing that concerns me a little bit is Dobbins has two targets over his last five games. Not two targets per game. He has two targets over his last five games. Look at the, the seven games or eight, maybe even nine games before that. Four, two, three, four, two, 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 two. In all of those games, it's zero, zero, one, one, and zero. I don't like that. Uh you're talking about salary-based expectations. You're talking about his expected volume behind Derrick Henry and even a remotely close salary. Well, if there, if J.K. Dobbins caught routinely three, four passes per game, maybe you could make an argument for it. But he's getting just as much passing work as Derrick Henry. Right, right. The same problem applies to both players. And, you know, 
yes, it's different. One's fifth in salary, but the other is the top salary running back on the slate, but still it's, yep. it's entirely different usage. Yeah. 31 targets on the season for, uh, for Derrick Henry and JK Dobbins has 24. So you do the math. Let's talk Chicago and new Orleans guys. If you're jumping in late, welcome, hit that thumbs up for us. We got a little over 200 watching right now. I know it's NBA season, but still, this is important stuff. Monster contest for NFL. And, well, we're going to talk about it because it's my most favorite and the most fun sport to talk about. So appreciate you guys sticking with us all the way till the hopefully not so bitter end here. Maybe we'll all win some money. So uh, hit that thumbs up and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so yet. It's greatly appreciated. All right, Matt. Uh, Chicago at New Orleans. Alvin Kamara's lucky because if this game was played on Saturday, he wouldn't be able to play. So who knows if it was going to be like that or the league said, all right, let's put it on Sunday. Michael Thomas is expected back too. the saints are 10 and a half point favorites. This game has a 47 point total. Does 10 and a half seem like a lot to you? Or do you think that the saints are genuinely a touchdown and a field goal more than a touchdown and a field goal better than the Chicago bears? I do. I do think that the Saints are that good. And in fact, I think the, the line opened a little bit lower than that, and it got hammered up. So I, I think that the Saints are actually still a good bet. I think they're still a plus EV bet at 10.5 right now. And they have the highest win probability of any team on this wild card slate. So I, I think, obviously, Alvin Kamara, anytime he's not the number one overall running back in terms of salary, and he has such a smash spot it's hard to not look at him as one of the most exciting players on the slate, even in that six game mega slate here. But of course we're going to pay for that with ownership. It looks like he might be almost 50% owned on the Sunday slate. So just prepare for that. It's a situation where I completely understand the last time we saw him, he did nothing but wear two really cool cleats and score six touchdowns. Uh, But if you look at expected fantasy points and fantasy's points, scored or allowed by the Chicago defense under opponent averages. They actually allow four points below opponent averages over the last five weeks to running backs. You know, that still puts Alvin Kamara in line to be the top running back in terms of usage and possibly fantasy output. So it's not a great matchup, but we just really think that the floor and the ceiling couldn't be better for Kamara here. Even in tournaments, I, I like Kamara better than Henry this week. Okay. Yeah, and you're getting a $700 discount on them, so that's nice as well. Both of these guys on the same slate could make it difficult, but uh, I, listen, I don't have any any argument there with you. Like, do I expect a six-touchdown game? It's unlikely, but I, I do think just the overall ability for Alvin Kamara to have, like, does Alvin Kamara have a higher floor than Derrick Henry? I don't think there's any question, right? To me, it's all about receptions, and we know that, you know, I turn it into expected fantasy points, but all that's really converting is did the player receive a rush or a target, and the player that receives a target, regardless of where they are on the field or game situation, is going to receive higher expected fantasy points. So a player like Kamara will always stick out in a metric like that. Yeah, it feels to me that Michael Thomas, at his current ownership, deserves some serious talking about, Matt. He is... Okay, so let me uh, let me filter this out to get you guys the right information. I wanted to make sure we're updated here. Michael Thomas is – oh, I got to pull up the Sunday slate because we don't have the combined slate up there. If you have his ownership pulled up, 
feel free to mention it. But last time I looked, it was like 23% or something, which seems ridiculously low. He's at... I have him at 27, but 27. I didn't 27.9, yeah. yeah. That's still too low at this price point. And Sean Payton, and, and, and I've heard this from numerous sources, that this is the healthiest he's been all season, you know, since that initial injury. They clearly placed him on the IR. He could have played. He's on the IR to get fully healthy for the postseason. Michael Thomas at this price point. Matt, this is all I'm going to say here because I don't want to talk too long on this. This is all I'm going to say. If we are so short-sighted, right, and and we are so um, results-based from recency, by a recency bias, right, and short-sighted, and we are willing to overlook the fact that Michael Thomas had 1,725 yards and 149 receptions with nine touchdowns last year, just because this season has been a bump in the road, you're crazy. That price is insane. Yeah, well said. I really have not a single argument or really not much to add there other than the usage should probably be at the highest it's been all season. I think you're right to say to say that 2019 Michael Thomas-esque games could be in line for Drew Brees and Thomas during the postseason. So if you're looking at ownership and you're seeing a player who's fifth amongst wide receivers in ownership. And we certainly know the ceiling going back to the last year. And then if you look at some of the advanced metrics lining up with that in my one of my data deep dive metrics that I consistently look at, true weighted opportunity share over the last eight weeks in the games that he's played, obviously, Michael Thomas has been the highest utilized wide receiver in terms of team percentage of targets and air yards in the entire NFL. There's so much to like here. I just waxed poetic about why I like Kamara compared to Henry, but Michael Thomas is probably the most exciting play for me on this entire Sunday slate. The only concern here is that the Saints get up really early and it wasn't Thomas who did the scoring, and they're basically just running the game clock out in the second half, which means that they're just going to keep Thomas healthy for one more week heading into the divisional round. Yep. And, hey, look, there are some good wide receivers priced around him. Uh, Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, there are a few that are that are in good spots. But to me, yeah, Michael Thomas is, is in a really, really appealing position just at that price and ownership. What about the rest of New Orleans? If you don't have much to talk about, let's just talk about the Bears. Well, we're going to see Taysom Hill. Uh, you know, say what you want about him when he's that backup quarterback option, but he has proven himself a really, really worthy rushing option that does lower Drew Brees' floor and really his ceiling as well, you know, because he's going to get valuable touches near the goal line taken away from him. The ball's just completely taken out of his hands. And this secondary passing game, I like to see Emmanuel Sanders get to that passing incentive. Clearly the Saints prioritized getting him that extra money, which was cool to see. But with Thomas back in the lineup, I certainly expect Sanders and Jared Cook to fade into the background here. They're large field tournament plays for me only. Okay. Uh, The Chicago Bears, big-time dogs, tough New Orleans defense. This game could get ugly, and the 10.5-point total suggests anything. It's that it probably will. Um, Montgomery's looked great. Robinson's looked great. And Mitchell Trubisky has been competent enough to – you know, guide this team to enough wins to get them into the postseason to be, you know, seeing an unceremonious exit in the wild card round. But they're here, Matt, so we need to talk about them. Yeah, and hats off to the team. It, it 
you know, I didn't have a lot of expectations for the Chicago Bears coming into the season. They started hot, got really cold in the middle of the season, and really pulled it together for the second half of the season. And if this is ultimately the end of their 2020 with the Saints being heavily favored, I think Mitchell Trubisky played himself possibly into a starter role in the next season. And David Montgomery really changed his perception around the league as this just plotter who didn't look nearly as elusive as his college expectations coming out of Iowa State into a player who's now number one in expected fantasy points on a slate that includes Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara. So hats off to them. And that's not even saying anything about Allen Robinson, who is the best wide receiver to never play with a good quarterback in the entire NFL. This is a team with a lot of offensive talent that's totally overmatched in this game. That's really the bottom line. The Saints are a fantastic defense. If you look at position-specific metrics, if you look at play-based efficiency, like expected points added, uh, a not allowed by defenses. They're one of the best teams against the rush and the pass. It's really hard to get to the Bears and get really excited about them. If I'm picking one of those three to bet on, Robinson, Montgomery, or Trubisky, it's Robinson just out of talent. He's the second highest salary wide receiver, but the Osmo projections have been projected for higher than that. So I really like him. I don't hate Montgomery or Trubisky at their salaries, but they're just not priority players, even on a three-game slate. All right. Here we go, Matt. Last one, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Let's wrap this up. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Remember, we've got plenty of other content coming down the pike today. We already had, um, or I'm sorry, today we have the NBA Deeper Dive, 530. It's a 730 lock, which means live before lock follows from 630 to 730. I'll be with Adam Scher, and then Josh and Greg will take over from there. We also have the PGA Live Before Lock show at 1 1 p.m. Eastern. So coming up in just about 50 minutes, that is Jason Ruslan and Ben and Ben Rasa. And I think Alex uh, Osmo is going to be there as well. So be sure to stick around for all of that coming up throughout the day. Um, All right. So, Matt, let's let's put a bow on this. Cleveland at Pittsburgh. The Cleveland Browns, five-and-a-half-point dogs, 47-point total. The last time they made the postseason, I was 15 years old. It has certainly been a long time. I'm 33 now. They last made it in, what, 2002? At least so. 18 or 19 years ago now, but you get the point. It's been a long time. What are you doing with the Cleveland Browns? Um, Can they generate enough offense, whether it be on the ground or with Baker Mayfield's arm, to to stay, to, to pace this Pittsburgh team? Yes, I think they can. And I was actually surprised when I saw the win probability model spit out Pittsburgh as such a high favorite because I feel like they have been incredibly volatile over the last few weeks. And, you know, we'll go back to the Browns offense, as you asked, in just a minute. But with the Steelers having one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the entire league, or at least among playoff teams, that means that the Browns may not have to have a huge amount of offense in order to be competitive in this game. Now, I know having Joel Petonio, one of the highest tenured Browns, missing this game is going to hurt that offensive line. But I still think against a tough Steelers rush defense, the Browns have a chance to dominate on the ground. They actually both rank 11th in the league, the Browns in rush offense and the Steelers in rush defense. So we really could just have a, a, a spot where both teams see it as a strength. That might keep the scoring down, but I think the usage will still be there for both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I don't think we're going to see a situation where the coaching staff, uh, the limited coaching staff of Cleveland, 
just puts the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands and has him throw 50 times like he did towards the end of the season. I think they're going to see a very run-dominated attack that tries to keep the ball away from Ben Roethlisberger's pass-heavy pass attack because they know the upside is still there despite that volatility. So who would you say your top options are from Cleveland? I think it starts with Nick Chubb. I think, honestly, that, again, it has a lot of these running back options that we were leaning towards uh, all season long as top plays. You know, if we finish this Saturday-Sunday slate and we say that Nick Chubb was the highest-scoring running back, does anybody turn their head? Does anybody flinch? Absolutely not. But he's the fourth in salary, fourth in median projection, and fourth in projected ownership on the Sunday slate. So that means that players are prioritizing other running backs, David Montgomery, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, more than Nick Chubb. And just compared to that ceiling that we know Nick Chubb has, I really like that. Uh, If you think that they completely stop the running game, the Steelers do, then I don't mind going to Kareem Hunt as the seventh highest running back on the slate. He's fifth in expected fantasy points among running backs and sixth in DraftKings fantasy points per game. So you're getting a tiny bit of a value there. Much more than the passing game. If you're going anywhere, I'm still going with Jarvis Landry. Uh, he's just the highest floor uh, Browns passing uh, option by far. Okay. Um, on the Pittsburgh side, James Conner is seeing a clear decrease in price from where he's been all season, $5,000. It makes sense just given what we've seen from him, and it hasn't been that much. They've been one of the heaviest. They have the second highest uh pass ratio in the league this year and usually you never see that with a team that finishes the year 12 and 4 you know it's like Jacksonville's throwing the football at a higher percentage than any other team that makes sense they they're not good uh they <laughs> lose games Pittsburgh had been good but they continued to throw the ball at will uh and James Conner's prices come down to five thousand dollars now it looks like DraftKings scaled down all of the pricing for these slates so that makes sense but $5,000 is likely going to put some decent uh, ownership on Connor. And he is right now around 30, 30%. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. If you look at the entire season in per play efficiency, the Steelers rank dead last in rush efficiency. And like you said, they're kind of on an island amongst playoff teams. If you look at adjusted pace of play and neutral down passing, they really pass more than any other team in the league. The only comparable playoff team is the Chiefs, and that's because they have Patrick Mahomes at the helm, that they're doing that kind of offense, that pass-oriented offense. The Steelers are doing it because they cannot run the ball. So, again, I think there's ownership gravitating towards Connor because the public believes that he's getting healthier, and we're looking at a home favorite running back. But we need to do our diligence here and look a little bit deeper. And, frankly, I don't see any suggestions that – a, James Conner has a good matchup, or B, that anything's changed that the Steelers can suddenly run the ball now that it's the postseason. If I'm going towards the Steelers in DFS lineup this weekend, I'm absolutely betting on the passing game. But it's really nerve-wracking to bet on Ben Roethlisberger and his options. Like I mentioned previously, the Steelers quarterback ranks dead last in true drive success rate amongst playoff quarterbacks. That's below John Walford, by the way. And below Alex Smith, it's so it dead last once again in per play efficiency. He's second to last in per pass efficiency over the last five weeks. And Roethlisberger is not playing well. Except for the second half against the, uh, the Colts, where they somehow pulled off that victory, you have not wanted to roster him at all. 
If you're choosing a receiver, I still think Deontay Johnson makes the most sense. He's actually second among wide receivers on the slate in expected fantasy points, but fourth in points per game because of the inefficiency of the offense as a whole. Uh, there's not really much exciting here for me. I, it feels like one of those games where one of these three guys, Johnson, Smith-Schuster, or Claypool, produces one of these slate-breaking scores. But just looking at the metrics, I can't really suss it out, so I probably won't be over the field on any of them. All right. Well, Matt, we've gone a little bit over an hour. I think that's not bad for the two of us for five games. <laughs> or, sorry, six games. But we should all be excited. Instead of having a four-game wildcard weekend slate, we got six, and we made it through the season despite some hiccups and despite so many you know, doomsayers acting like it wasn't going to happen. But it did, and I'm here to say told you so. Let's have some fun. <laughs> Let's win some money. And we'll see you back here very shortly. Another strategy show tomorrow as we get closer to the start of the wild card week. It will be myself and Alex Baker going through everything for the strategy show Friday morning. Um, and Jordan, you asked, do I have a day off a week? Well, you know, I said yes, but sometimes I work on the day off. Well, that'll be tomorrow, Friday. But I'm okay with it because I like football and I like you guys. Anyway, stick around for all of the stuff coming up. Uh, live before lock for PGA, deeper dive, live before lock for NBA, everything. If you need it, we got it right here at the awesome YouTube channel. And follow Matt at Draftaholic, myself at Lafayette underscore D. We'll catch you guys back here soon. Good luck this weekend.